Do you want a politically incorrect gateway to a real history education? Then go to mclanahanacademy.com. That's mclanahanacademy.com. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 152. Are you ready to think locally and act locally? Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Glad to be here. Before we get started, just want to remind you to follow me on Twitter at Brian McClanahan, like my Facebook page at Brian McClanahan, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can typically watch this podcast. I'm having some technical difficulties with my camera. So this particular episode and one before does not have uh, the video component, but you can still get it on YouTube, and there still are podcasts with a video element. So go on out there to YouTube and subscribe to my YouTube page. Also, you can support The Brian McClanahan Show by going to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support. You can throw a few pennies my way if you like. While you're there, give me an email address, and I will give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders in American History, and a free audiobook of the same title, read by yours truly. You can also support The Brian McClanahan Show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com, signing up for free so you can get all the uh, deals that come out when I have new courses arrive, of course, uh, I've got two courses there for sale right now, uh, Secession and American Tale, and How Alexander Hamilton Screwed Up America, so pick up those if you would like. You can also go to learntruehistory.com, and you can get a subscription there. You can help support The Brian McClanahan Show that way and get one of the best deals on an educational website around. You get a tremendous number of courses uh, taught by yours truly, Kevin Goodsman, Tom Woods, Brad Berzer, Jason Jewell, Bob Murphy. It's just an awesome deal. So go to learn true, T-R-U-E, history.com, get a subscription, but also go to mclanahanacademy.com and sign up there as well and buy a course there too. So uh, we've got two great educational opportunities. And of course, you can get your McClanahan Academy, or I'm sorry, McClanahan Show Gear, Brian McClanahan Show Gear at redbubble.com. So going out to redbubble.com, do a search for my name. You can get my logo on all kinds of things, and that will also help support the Brian McClendian Show. Okay, so got some interesting things or an interesting uh, book to talk about today. And uh, this particular book was something I read as an undergraduate uh, in college, so a, a long time ago. And actually, it was published in 1991. And I remember reading this book, and it was impactful at that time. And I hadn't read it again in a very long time. And so I sat down again and read this book the other day. It's, it's short. You can, you can uh, read through it within a matter of an hour or two uh, if you are. Now, if you want to chew it and digest it, it takes a little longer. But uh, this particular book was something that I read, and I thought, wow, you know, this is... This is uh, so profound to me. Now, this was during my nationalist phase as an undergraduate. This is during the time when I've talked about before I became very interested in the, in the ideas, not necessarily ideas, but in the practical application of decentralization, of the Tenth Amendment, of the American tradition of decentralization, and why that mattered. I was in that phase in, 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 that, in this particular part of my life when I thought we need to centralize everything, for a variety of reasons. And this book spoke to me in that way. But going back and looking at it, first of all, some of the things that this particular historian says in this book are, are now have, have now been proven incorrect. But looking at it now the way I do and looking at American history, 
it is a fine example of the one people thesis of American history being uh, emphasized in a way to promote unity in America in the 1980s and 90s. Now, the book I'm talking about was written by a court historian of the court historians. I mean, you can't get any more court historian than the person who wrote this book, and that is Arthur Schlesinger, Jr. Arthur Schlesinger, Jr. was the court historian of the Kennedy administration. In fact, he was called that, but he is a court historian of the court historians. If you look at historians who have been fully involved in the highest levels of power, and their job was similar to what you would have seen with someone like a Livy, uh, when you go back to the reign of Augustus in the old Roman Empire, the beginning of the Roman Empire, here you had Livy, who was charged with writing a history of Rome that would appeal to the sensibilities of the Roman people to ensure that they were Roman. You have Arthur Schlesinger, who wrote all kinds of stuff. I mean, the guy has a bibliography that most historians would just love to have, uh, won several prizes for his work, but um, some of his more famous books, of course, are uh, The Age of Jackson, which if you go to graduate school and you have to uh, read a book that really defines an era of historical writing, this is it. But um, he also wrote um, books on the Kennedy administration as he was in the Kennedy White House. His A Thousand Days, John F. Kennedy in the White House is one of those books that uh, again, really defined an administration, defined a period of history. He wrote The Imperial Presidency, which uh, was a critique of Richard Nixon. Uh, wrote a book about Robert F. Kennedy, where he was, of course, very involved in politics in the in the both Kennedy uh, campaigns. Was the speechwriter for Adelaide Stevenson in the 1950s. Uh, wrote uh, two books on Franklin Roosevelt, The Crisis of the Old Order and the Coming of the New Deal, which he titled The Age of Roosevelt. And, of course, he also wrote one other uh, book. It was a three-volume series, The Politics of Upheaval. So writing this um, multi-volume history of the Age of Roosevelt. Of course, his father was also a very prominent historian during the Roosevelt years. So uh, that's why, you know, Schlesinger had access to this to this period. But this book that I'm talking about uh, is entitled The Disuniting of America, Reflections on a Multicultural Society. And I remember reading this book and thinking, yeah, this is it. This is the book that really is going to take down this splintering of America into these into what's called the Balkanization of America. And what is interesting today is that is exactly what's going on in America, but even more intense than what it was when Arthur Schlesinger wrote this book. And I've come to realize over time that what Schlesinger was doing here in this particular book and what he's talking about can never happen. It never should have happened. And the beauty of the American political system was that it would allow for a multi, what he calls a multicultural society in a decentralized union. That was the entire point of the union from the beginning. If you go back and read 
the debates concerning the ratification of the Constitution. The idea was to allow for a multicultural society because of decentralization, because the states would be the vessels for which this multicultural society could exist within a union with specific purposes, meaning commerce and defense. And what's interesting about that, and, and this is where Schlesinger gets the entire American experience wrong. And I'm going to go to the very end of the book. The very end of the book. Because he says what America is to him. And then I'm going to work forward. But this book is only 138 pages. Again, you can flip through it in a couple of hours. He says, quote, Our task is to combine due appreciation of the splendid diversity of the nation with due emphasis on the great unifying Western ideas of individual freedom, political democracy, and human rights. These are the ideas that define the American nationality and that today empower people of all continents, races, and creeds. What then is the American, this new man, Here individuals of all nations are melted into a new race of men. He says, still a good answer, still the best hope. Now, you could, there is, there is so much in that little section to take apart. But one thing he says, this is a diversity of the nation. Now, if you look at the strict And he, and he goes into this earlier. In the, if you look at the strict definition of nation, you cannot have diversity in a nation. A nation is a race of people or a group of people. I mean, and, and he talks about the term race, um, where they talked about the French race, the German race, how race was used differently in the uh, 19th century. Uh, it wasn't skin tone. It was a culture. So it's a culture, a unifying culture of language, religion, customs, traditions. So we really have never had a real American nation. We have always had, even from the colonial period, even as these people were British. If you go back and read David, David Hackett Fisher's Albion Seed, you get into that, that even these British cultures, these folkways were different. You had a Cavalier culture, a Celtic culture, a Puritan culture, a Quaker culture. These were the dominant cultures. And within that, you also had other groups, Germans, uh, French, Spanish. In this North American colonial experience, and then outside of that, when you get to the American states, these states had their own political cultures, their own uh, traditional cultures, But the point of all of that, and the point of the American Union, was to be able to blend those things together, not in a melting pot, not that they were all one, not that they were an American nation, even though Washington talked about it a little bit, and of course you had the nationalists. But the idea was to use the decentralized structure of the American political system to absorb those differences and to have a common cause when it came to commerce and defense. That was it. This is why the Constitution has very few defined powers, because all else, as it was argued, was left to the states.
for their own internal affairs, for their own internal harmony and peace. But here you have Schlesinger talking about a top-down approach to America. That is his main thrust of the book. We cannot have a one people with multiculturalism. It can't work. Not when you start fragmenting it out with the various things he goes into the book, which I'm not going to talk about that in, in detail. But he says just four pages earlier, the genius of America lies in its capacity to forge a single nation of pe from peoples of remarkably diverse racial, religious, and ethnic origins. To forge a single nation of people from that. He's saying this is the genius of America, that it, like it had never happened before, but it had. Only it didn't work. The Romans tried to do this. In the first century B.C., everyone in Italy was made a Roman citizen by Julius Caesar. And then over time, over the next few hundred years, the Romans tried to forge a singular nation of Romans out of a very diverse group of people as immigration pushed in for the borders of Rome. And it was this diversity in Rome that ultimately led to its downfall. It could not maintain the empire, which is what, what America is, is why I said in a previous podcast early on, we are Rome. We are Rome. And he brings up an old book published in 1909 by Herbert Crowley, which is entitled The Promise of American Life. And Herbert Crowley was a progressive of the progressives. And that's what Schlesinger is, too. He's a progressive. And that's the funny thing about this book. Schlesinger was, in some ways, a bridge between the old left and the new left. And he was a leftist. He was a progressive. And he helped usher in some of this stuff in the 1960s. But now he's attacking it because it's like he realized, oops, the Pandora's box is opened, and we've got to try to close it now. You see, for about 100 years, and this is what Don Livingston talks about all the time, we had a Lincolnian America, a one-nation thesis that had won in 1865 and now was being forced on the United States from the top down. We're going to be one nation. These states are a problem. We're going to rally around Lincoln as the image of America, the strong central authority. We're going to ensure that American ideals, we're going to have an ideal, a, a nation built on the proposition. This is the... Uh, the Straussian view of America, the Harry Jaffa view of the Declaration that Lincoln expounded upon in the Declaration—I'm sorry—in the uh, Gettysburg Address. We're going to have this one nation, and so for over a hundred years, when Schlesinger was writing this in the 1980s, it was falling apart very quickly. And in fact, when you go through and read this, and I would highly recommend picking it up—it's you can get it cheap now. When you go through and read it. And you think, oh my gosh, it's exactly what's going on right now in our colleges and universities. He is very critical of the things that are happening on college campuses today. And he didn't think this would get so bad. He thought it can't happen. In fact, he said it in the book, there's no way this can happen. There's no way. No, we've still got one nation of people. They're going to block these things from happening. But I think he was delusional at that point. He didn't realize how powerful, and this is why I did the podcast in the 1990s, how powerful this was becoming in the 1990s on the college campuses. And people were not listening to Arthur Schlesinger. They were listening to the different strains of this new, new left, which were ripping everything apart in the name of multi, what they called multiculturalism diversity. Now it's uh, you know the attack on, as he calls it, Eurocentric history, which he says you... You can't look at America unless you look at it from a Eurocentric position. It's impossible. Uh, when you even say things 
like we had um, uh, when uh, it was said that we had an Anglo-American legal tradition. That now is called out as being, you know, a a dog whistle for you know whatever uh, whatever you want to say. Um, but this is this is the thing. Schlesinger was saying this could never happen like that. We we always are gonna we're always gonna have this Anglo-American tradition that you have to have. He was advocating teaching Western civilization uh, because America is an extension of the West and on down the line. But he he cites this book by Crowley, and he says Herbert Crowley phrased in eighty years back in the Promise of American Life of preventing such divisions from dissolving the society in which they they enter of keeping such a highly differentiated society fundamentally sound and whole. This required Crowley, Crowley believed in quote an ultimate bond of union. There was only one way by which solidarity could be restored, and that is by means of a democratic social ideal. Again, the progressives deal in the world of ideals. They don't, they don't root anything in culture. This is where multiculturalism is more powerful. Now, he does attack some of the basis of the multiculturalism in the 80s and 90s and say this is, you're, you're making this stuff up. And that part of the book, I'm not going to get into, but he's saying these these different groups are making these things up. He calls it feel good history, and I'm gonna I'll talk a little bit about a little bit about that. But he says the problem is we have this multiculturalism is based on a a fabrication, but he does not take into account the power of culture, which is stronger than an ideal of a political society based on ideals. In his mind, America is an ideal. America is a thing out there in outer, in the space somewhere, in our minds. It's a thing. And that's what bonds Americans together, just an ideal. And in some ways, he was right. For over 100 years, it was the Lincolnian ideal of one people, one nation, indivisible. But before that, before that, and of course, people did rally. It's not to say there wasn't American nationalism before 1861. There was. But people were tied more conclusively to their own people, their own culture, than they were to an idea, which is why the South could leave the Union, which is why New Englanders talked about leaving the Union. Because the Union, as Calhoun said, the Union next to our liberty most dear. Now you could say, well, that's an idea too, liberty. Not really. It was rooted in something. The traditions of the people. Liberty is a tradition, not an idea. It's a tradition forged in the 1800s of 600 years of English experience, going back to the Magna Charta. And even before that, when you read the traditions of Western civilization, it is a tradition, a cultural tradition, that not every culture has shared. And this is why you can't have an idea in a society that does not share the same traditions. He goes into things like a common language. He says, look, he says, quote, Nonetheless, a common language is a necessary bond of national cohesion and so heterogeneous a nation as America. So he's using these, these terms that don't even work. You cannot have a heterogeneous nation. You can have a heterogeneous society. 
you can have a heterogeneous union, but you cannot have a heterogeneous nation. You can't. This is why I became interested in the ideas of political decentralization, realizing that there are different cultures around America. This is, this is going on. Californians, we may share, uh, Californians may share similarities with people all over the United States, but they also have their own political culture. They have their own language. They have their own customs and traditions. They do. Same thing with people in the South. Same thing with people in New England. Same thing with people in the Midwest. And then even within that, you have divisions. As uh, uh, Eugene Genovese pointed out about, when he, uh, Schlesinger talks a lot about uh, black Americans. He says you may, const- you may count them as a nation within a nation, as one nation or two, but yet they're still American. This is true. And Schlesinger gets into that. But still, you have, and you could say, uh, maybe something even more powerful within that is regional. So what he's saying here is this thing is coming apart. It's coming apart because you have all these people pushing culture. We can't have culture. we got to have ideas. And he says this, page 102, the ethnic, I'm sorry, the ethnicity rage in general and Afrocentricity in particular not only divert attention from the real needs, but exacerbate the problems. The recent apothesis of ethnicity, black, brown, red, yellow, white, has revived the dismal prospect that in a happy melting pot days, Americans thought the republic was moving safely beyond. That is a society fragmented into separate ethnic communities. The cult of ethnicity exaggerates differences, intensifies resentments and antagonisms, drives ever deeper the awful wedges between races and nationalities. The end game is self-pity and self-ghettoization. Now, this is identity politics. And, of course, we have this happening all over the place. And I've been very critical of identitarians in politics. Uh, and but this is what we've got. The left has pushed this. I mean, he he's like I said, Schlesinger was trying to clamp down on something he helped open. He opened this Pandora's box in the 1960s uh, because you know he didn't think that we should we should we should not get beyond the American ideal. All these people should still recognize that they're in an American ideal, even if they have you know this diversity, which he's not saying is a bad thing. But we have to remember the American ideal, and that, that ideal is going to create a nation of people. The American creed, he calls it. The American creed. Um, and he talks about the melting pot quite a lot. How, for a time, and this was really a short period of time in American history, everyone thought of themselves as one nation, America, individuals, these, these type of things. But there's a reason why people like Francis Bellamy wrote the Pledge of Allegiance where he talked about one nation indivisible because he recognized that that was not really America. (laughs) That you had had people that believed America was divisible. And it was divisible in a variety of different ways for a variety of different reasons. Um, So Schlesinger... I mean, this this book is so meaty. I mean, I could probably talk about this book for well over an hour in different ways, and I don't want to carry on this podcast for an hour. Um, but he does talk a lot about history, and so 
he, he defines history and he gets into different problems with history. Um, and this does speak to the historian. Um, he talks about, there's a chapter entitled History as a Weapon. And this is exactly what history has become. And he does have a nice paragraph, page 99. He says, let us by all means teach black history, African history, women's history, Hispanic history, Asian history. But let us teach history, let us teach them as history. Not as uh, philopiopiistic commemoration. The purpose of history is to promote not group self-esteem, but understanding of the world in the past. This passionate analysis, judgment, perspective, respect for divergent cultures and traditions, and unflinching protection for those un unifying ideas of tolerance, democracy, and human rights that make free historical inquiry possible. Now, he's saying this in 1991, and that last part is becoming much more challenging in the modern day to have this free historical inquiry because history has been used as a weapon. This is in a, cha a, title, a chapter entitled The Battle uh, of the Schools and how the teaching of history has become, and in the chapter before it talks about history as a weapon. It's used as a weapon. Uh, let me get into that for a second, because um, he says, quote, history is a weapon. History is a weapon. The way it's being used in modern society is a weapon, a dangerous weapon. It's a weapon because groups of people are using it to, as he talks about, to promote what they call field, or what he calls feel-good history. They're fabricating, they're creating myths that don't exist. Now, one could argue that this one-nation thesis he's pushing, which he very clearly defines in the earliest parts of the book, is also a myth. And I've talked about it. That's the real myth of American history, that there is one people one nation. And his great concern, as he out, outlines in the foreword to the book, is secession. He's worried about that. He looks at the Soviet Union. He says, on every side today, ethnicity is the cause of the breaking of nations. The Soviet Union, Yugoslavia, India, South Africa, all in crisis. Ethnic tensions disturb and divide Sri Lanka, Burma, Ethiopia, Indonesia, Iraq, Lebanon, Israel, Cyprus, Somalia, Nigeria, Liberia, Angolia, Sudan, Zaire, Guana, Trinidad, you name it. Even nations that stable and civilized as Britain and France, Belgium and Spain and Czechoslovakia face growing ethnic and racial troubles. The viral virus of tribalism, says the economist, risks becoming the aids of international politics, lying dormant for years and flaring up to destroy countries. He is very concerned about decentralization because he thinks it's a bad idea. And so... That's the point of this entire book. He's worried about fragmentation in America, about decentralization here. He says, implicit in this philosophy is the classification of all Americans according to ethnic and racial criteria. But while the ethnic interpretation of American history, like the economic interpretation, is valid and illuminating up to a point, it is fatally misleading and wrong when presented as the whole picture. The ethnic interpretation, moreover, reverses the historical theory, historical theory or historic theory of America's one people, the theory that has thus far managed to keep America society, American society whole. So he's saying America is built on a theory, a theory, not in fact 
but in theory. And he criticizes economic interpretation of history. And then he criticizes the cultural interpretation of history, which culture is everything. You can't have decentralization without culture. And so this is why he's trying to destroy that, you see. One nation built on an idea, a theory. The proposition of the Declaration. Schlesinger and the Straussians, the new left and the new right, the neocons and the old left, I mean, this is why they're neocons. This is why they're neoconservatives. They're really leftists who believe and they're nationalists and, and who would side with Lincoln. I mean, this is why Lincoln becomes the symbol. Because it's built on a proposition, as Lincoln said in the Gettysburg Address. So the only way you could have a new race, as he calls it, an American race, a melting pot, is American commitment to democracy and self-government. Civic participation, it became a religion. That's the only way you can do it. And this is what he gets into, which is highly problematic. Because America has long been culturally diverse. And he does mention you know, that at one point. You know, there are different, even among European-descendant people here, there's still cultural diversity among those people. So this is what really got me into decentralization and realizing that there's different political cultures, there's different economies, there's different groups of people. And that was the most humane way to respond to some of the tension. You see the problem. The Americans are angry because we have a Schlesinger view of America. It's top-down, force everyone to be one way on a particular ideal. But who, if you have razor-thin majorities, and we just saw an election yesterday in Pennsylvania decided by 600 votes, we have razor-thin majorities. So this creates a very angry electorate when you try to have everything from the top down. We look at the Take take your issue, a hot button topic, whether it's you know quote unquote gun control, and the attempted uh, uh, attempt to force one particular view on everyone else. Whatever side of the issue you're on, that's the real problem. Decentralization allows for political communities to work within their own political culture to make adjustments and changes as their political culture determines. That is why decentralization works and why it worked in a very Jeffersonian view of America for 80 years. And it was only when you started having the attempt to top down, to force nationalism, that it became problematic. And everyone bought into it for 100 years, but that's starting to fracture now. People are no longer buying into it because they realize the emperor has no clothes, that you can't run a country on an ideal that political culture matters, that regionalism matters, that you, this, this top-down system isn't working for the left or the right. I mean, this is why people are talking about these things now. And if you had a real, decent, a real federal republic, you would have a happier political culture. So Schlesinger is of an old breed, an American nation, top-down. And... This is, he's talking about a society that's fast disappearing. What's, all the other things. Again, read the book because he gets into some things and you'll think, gosh, I mean, he's saying this in 1991. This is exactly what's happened today. I'm not going to get into that part of the book. But the top down, 
the One Nation thesis, which Joseph Story preached extensively, and which is why I attacked Joseph Story and how Alexander Hamilton screwed up America. This is the important part of all of this. So read the book, uh, Arthur Schlesinger's Disuniting of America, a court historian realizing they've opened a Pandora's box that cannot be closed. It's kind of funny in a way to think about that, but um, this is it's a very interesting discussion of American history and American society and uh, his fear of a decentralized world coming to fruition, which it was in some ways in the 1990s and even more so today. Uh, but this is not necessarily a bad thing uh, because it allows communities to better respond to the challenges of those communities rather than having a top-down approach. But this, again, it's the Trump phenomenon. This All this stuff has happened, and so Trump comes in and says, we're going to make America great again. We're going to have an American nationalism. That's all Trump is doing. And there's a very there's a segment of American society that loves that, and they want that back. This Schlesinger would have agreed with that in a lot of different ways. American nationalism. That's what it is. I'll see you next time on The Brian McClaney. <laughs>